Hello, hello, and welcome to CMO Convo, the podcast from CMO Alliance, where we dig into everything that's important to modern CMOs. This time, we're joined by Dan Cobb, Chief Strategy Officer of the Daniel Bryan Advertising Agency, and we're taking a look at consumer behavior, namely what can lead to devotion to a brand that they become irrational advocates, and what this means for CMOs. Hi, Dan, welcome to CMO Convo. How are you doing today? Doing great. Awesome. Awesome. It's going to be a great conversation today because it's one that I've been wanting to cover for a while. And that's sort of the relationship between consumers and brands now, because it's changed a lot in the last few years, I feel. And it's become very tricky for CMOs to really find the best way to approach uh, their consumers and their customers. Uh, But before we do get down to discussing that and discussing this irrational advocacy, which is going to be the subject of the, the podcast today, how about you introduce yourself to the audience, Dan, tell us a bit about yourself and why we're, why we're talking about the subject today. So um, I'm a student of uh, the business of advertising, owner of an advertising agency, Daniel Bryan Advertising, and uh, wanting our clients to succeed at what they do, we study the phenomenon of successful brands. And uh, having had the opportunity to work with some amazing brands, uh, Rocket Mortgage, uh, Chick-fil-A, uh, working with Papa John's, and seeing uh, big shifts in the way brands are addressing their consumer audiences. Uh, we've been, begun a new adventure in studying this phenomenon. We call it rational advocacy. And we believe it's really the future of how we build brands uh, in, in social media and beyond. Let, let's talk about this term, irrational advocacy, because it, it wasn't something that I'd come across until you approached me about this episode, uh, but it makes perfect sense from how you explained it. Let's, let's explain it to the audience. Like, what do we mean by irrational advocacy in relation to brands? Absolutely. Well, we, we presume that, that uh, humans make rational decisions, that we are rational beings. Uh, but when we look at the uh, new study in science on um, psychology and human behavior and consumer behavior, Uh, It it looks a little bit more like this. We are irrational beings who rationalize our decisions. We're emotional beings who uh, make emotional decisions. And so what we we need to understand is what drives those emotions to cause us to make a purchase, to pay a premium, to maybe wait longer for a product or a service, uh, to tell our friends uh, and even uh, go on social media and become a marketing agent for a brand which is when we move into the stage we call rational advocacies. Uh, Examples of that is, uh, let's look at Apple, for example. Uh, Why would you you the night before the launch of an iPhone, a new iPhone, wait in line 24 hours and in the dark or in the uh, cold to get a phone that you already have a perfectly uh, well-designed functional phone in your hand and you're waiting for the next ver- version, which might be slightly better, but why would you go through all of that to get more convenience the following day from a device that may not offer that much new advantage for you? It's not about the phone. It- it's about something bigger and some kind of a cause that that creates that consumer behavior. Definitely, definitely. And I feel like yeah, the, the advocacy side and the sort of devoting yourself to queue up for, for hours, that's sort of like the extreme end of the scale, but it's something that affects even sort of day-to-day buying decisions that consumers make. Like why would people choose a premium branded um, product over like a store's own brand product, even if they're exactly the same? Like if you're buying like chicken cutlets, for example, like what is the real difference between a brand name chicken cutlet and a store's own brand name? But you make the choice based on the brand and that's a purely irrational decision right there. 
we, we work with Chick-fil-A and uh, talking about chicken. <laughs> Why would you, uh, the night before every grand opening, there's a, there are people who camp out in tents uh, for the grand opening of a brand new Chick-fil-A. And they will wait in lines that wrap around city blocks uh, to get into a Chick-fil-A. Why is there that much passion for a chicken sandwich? It, it, it's not a whole lot better than Popeye's. Uh, so what's going on there? And, and that's what we studied working with that brand. And we interviewed the consumer audiences and tried to understand why is it that a company that's closed on Sundays, it loved for the fact that they can't buy that chicken sandwich on Sunday, that they are having less access to the product. That is not an advantage, but to the consumer it is. They associate that with a brand who has values. And then Chick-fil-A as well is a great example in terms of the advocacy, because people get into very, very heated arguments online about which which fast food restaurant produces the best sandwiches. It's, it's, it's yeah. something that we don't really get in the UK, but I've seen it happening a lot on sort of US Twitter and stuff like that, where they get into massive arguments about, no, Chick-fil-A is the best chicken sandwich, Popeye's is the best chicken sandwich. And that, I think, is a great example of irrational advocacy right there. Absolutely. They will have passion about their brand. I mean, it's it even follows to the, you know, you go to any sporting event, people are painting their face the color of the brand they love, their sporting team, their university. It's, it's an association, an identity. Um, people wear clothing that represents who they are. They buy vehicles that represents what they stand for. Uh, they may pay a premium for a vehicle that's not more reliable. It might be a high cost to repair one. Uh, I, I'd say the worst vehicle I ever purchased was a Maserati. It, it had uh, massive repair bills. It was in the shop more than it was in my driveway. And uh, yet, it represented a persona that I was trying to build at that time of my life. I have since then kind of outgrown that persona and said, I just want a reliable car that works. <laughs> and uh, it kind of changed your mind about these things. But there are times where you're willing to pay a premium, put up with all kinds of inconvenience and quality defects to say, this is the brand I want to associate with. And we're talking about this mainly from sort of a B2C angle, but I think it's relevant in the B2B world as well, particularly maybe particularly because of like the shift in the ways of working. Like now that are a lot of like the tools that people are using in work are in their own home, I feel like people are building a lot more of like an emotional connection to them because it's a way of connecting people with the outside world. Like, like why do certain people prefer Zoom over Microsoft Teams, for example? But you have that emotional connection to Zoom because it's been such a big part of our lives over the last couple of years because of the pandemic. So irrational advocacy, like, it's not just something to think about in terms of B2C. It's also something to think about B2B now, I feel. It's in every market. I mean, you associate your uh, identity. So this is not about simply, I need a better product to fulfill utility in my life. Uh, when people enter into the stage of irrational advocacy, it's about self-identification. It's about saying, this is the brand that I am. I represent a certain set of values, uh, passions and a purpose. So these things drive me. And if I find a brand that also identifies with these same, same values, I'll identify with them and I'll even promote them because I want those value, values to become greater in society. So my community builds, my influence to a larger community is growing because I'm part of a value system that's growing. Uh, that is actually the, the mindset of the consumer and they may not be able to analyze all of that, all they know is I'm a Chick-fil-A fan or I'm a Popeye's fan. And they can't explain all of the reasons, but they can start giving you a few examples here and there. Definitely, definitely. So there's one 
key word in the phrase irrational advocacy that I want to focus on, and that's the term irrational, because that makes it sound like something that we can't control and we can't predict in the marketing world. Is that is that true? Like, how much control do we actually have over this? Well, on the surface, it, it would appear irrational, um, but as we look at a human emotion, uh, we we like to say that emotions should be ignored and we should make rational decisions in our life. But in reality, emotion is a driver of good decision-making. We found that people who have a lack of emotion or lack of emotional intelligence have vast difficulties making decisions. Uh, it turns out that emotions are the synapses in your brain, the models in your brain that are working at a higher level of complexity. And it, it looks at all the ways that people build expressions, for example, in a conversation to know if I can trust this individual. It looks at um, the cues from how a brand promotes itself to see if it's self-centered, if it's greedy, or if it's a generous brand. Those are cues that are difficult to realize at a rational level. So our emotions engage and they make decisions for us based on models of historic view of this is a trustworthy person, this is an untrustworthy person, this is a trustworthy brand, this is an untrustworthy brand. So emotions are actually very rational. They're just much more complex, more difficult to understand. It comes down to the way people raise their eyebrow or uh, raise their tone of voice or talk with confidence or talk with weakness. All of those nuances create trust or break trust. So the, the, the rationality is more on the consumer side, but there are rational techniques that CMOs and marketing departments can take to engage with those irrational behaviors. Is that what we're saying? Absolutely. It, the, if you're trying to engage an irrational advocate um, audience, uh, the worst thing you can do is a, um, a promotion, be a promotion-based brand with sales every week and proof points. Uh, when you're constantly ap appealing to the rational brain, you're only going to achieve a rational level of relationship with your customer. Now you have to win on price. You have to win on quality. You have to accomplish all of the check, all of the boxes. However, if you build a relationship with a consumer based on values or you based on, based on purpose or a mission of your brand to change the world or drive a cause or create a movement. Now the, those proof points, those sales gimmicks, are not necessary. Now the consumer gets on your side and joins in that movement based on the values. And uh, you, get, you get a lot of forgiveness. We find that brands who create a brand um, persona of, of corporate citizenship rise in all scores. The people believe they have a better price. They believe they have a better product, a better service, uh, simply because they have a strong uh, community engagement. They give back. They may invest in uh, local causes. Uh, let me give you an example. We, we did a campaign with uh, Hungry Howie's Pizza Company. Uh, they had a, a thing they wanted to do with the breast cancer um, community and kind of give back. So we changed the boxes to pink and during October and said a percentage of every sale goes back to the community to help those who can't afford to get a mammogram. Really simple idea, helps the community. And in doing that, sales went up 23%. Now, the consumer had no personal benefit from that. There was no way they could personally engage in that. It was about others. And when we did that, it, it increased sales. So that was an irrational behavior for those individuals. If you think people are selfish by your cognitive evaluation of the human brain. In reality, we make decisions that are not only for ourselves, but for others.
is kind of how we're engineered. And so we've tested it the other way. Let's say you, you discount the pizza by the same amount you gave to those causes. Nobody cares a whole lot because wow. we're only giving a very, very small percentage. It's maybe 1%, 2%. Nobody even cares about a 1% or 2% discount. You have to discount 50% or even offer a free pizza promotion to compete with giving away a cause donation to the breast cancer awareness program that we did. Wow, that that's that's really interesting, Dan. That's really, really interesting. Yeah. Like, and it it kind of oh, it kind of strips away some layers of cynicism that I've built up over the last few years. So it's it's that's, that's a oh, nice yeah. fact to know that people are more willing to take to give a little than receive a little, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's yeah, that was the if you gone. think about it, we're trying to get people who are gonna follow us and share our product. Uh, I never had a consumer share our promotion. Let's say we did a you know, pizzas on sale 50%. I never saw a consumer go crazy and share it with all their friends and make a, a post go viral over that. However, when we did the pink pizza box campaign, people took photos of themselves with the pink pizza box. They told their friends, you got to come out and buy this pizza. My, my mother is facing breast cancer. I think this is a great cause. We grew by a quarter million um, Facebook followers uh, during that campaign, gaining more than we did done for any other campaign we did. So rational advocacy is about getting the consumer to be your promotional agent on your behalf, because it's not about you. It's about a cause they can join with you and make a difference with society. And I suppose as well, it sort of lessens some of the guilt of making a purchase, particularly something like, like pizza, where it's not a healthy thing. I mean, I love pizza. I'm, I'm not going to say like you shouldn't be buying pizza, but knowing that right. me buying pizza was also going to go out to help people as well it lessens a bit of the guilt in making that purchase in the first place it's i suppose better everybody feels better if they do something for someone else even think about tom's shoes mm. it was a brand built entirely on giving back you buy a pair of 50 dollars shoes that are not worth 50 dollars, and uh you know it's a canvas shoe you could have sold it for probably half that but they're giving a pair away to some third world country uh, child or someone who's in need and so you feel good about buying the shoe. Uh, we call this the slacktivist. They are a, a generation that wants to be activist about what they do. They wanna make a difference, but they wanna be convenient like everything else. Fast food activism. If I can just simply buy this product versus that product and I'm giving back by doing that, I'll make that choice. But that, those kinds of consumers, how often do they become these irrational advocates? Are they, are they actually going out and saying that it's great that I'm able to do this in this way? Like, is there- it's a great, great question. Not everybody falls into this category. It's the fastest growing category among what we call the behaviorals. These are um, uh, different types of behaviors in the community. There are those who are looking for the sale all the time. They're, we call those the nomads and they're the largest group of society, always looking for the lowest cost and they are rational in their choice. Whatever is the lowest cost, that's what I'm buying. Now, the, uh, what we call aspirational buyer is now up to a quarter of the population, and they're the fastest growing part of the population. These are the buyers who say, well, I don't necessarily need a discount. Uh, what else are you, are you doing here? Can you offer me a better sale? Uh, beyond that, can you offer some benefit to society? Or maybe the discount product at Walmart, for example, doesn't represent my values because Walmart doesn't represent my values. I'd rather pay the premium and go to Target. And so the aspirational will actually spend more money and choose their, their purchasing uh, environment based on values. 
And so that aspirational uh, community is based on greater wealth, uh, more ability to discretionarily spend their money. And by the way, you get better margins from that buyer because they're willing to spend a premium and you don't have to win on price. And I'm going to assume that no one, well, very rarely does someone fit into one a single category across all the types of purchasing they might do. You might be a rational buyer when it comes to certain things and you might be an aspirational buyer when it comes to other things. Is that, is that correct? Right, right. There, there are um, different commoditized products. You know, for example, uh, gas. We would probably drive to the, the station with the cheapest gas right now, uh, it, it, especially at the price it's at. Uh, and there are things you're not willing to pay a premium for. However, if, uh, if a gas station were to stand up and say, we're making a green planet and uh, our gas is a little bit more expensive, but we're changing the world and we're uh, creating more environment uh, safe uh, practices, I, I would guarantee you there's a percentage of the audience that will drive past the lower cost gas station and pay more uh, because they believe they're making a difference. Definitely, definitely. And I think it's something that's getting more and more prevalent in younger generations as well. Like there have been studies on uh, on Gen Z and how much they need to have shared values with the brands that they support. Is it going to get more extreme in the future then? Are we going to get like absolutely tribal with the, the brands we support? I think it's tribal. Like it's getting tribal already. Um, it, there was uh, a few cases where uh, even for Chick-fil-A, there were those who were the Chick-fil-A haters. There were protesters out in front of Chick-fil-A because they had faith-based values and those faith-based values had them, uh, they were donating to faith-based organizations who uh, really, it touched the sensibilities of the LBGTQ community and caused a, a backlash on those values. Uh, because you take one set of values, um, you, you always are taking a risk that someone has an opposing view on your values. And so those are always risks that you're gonna, you're gonna face when you go out there. Uh, even Harley Davidson, uh, that's a brand that uh, it's the number two tattoo on a human being today. And number one is mom. We would tattoo our mom on our shoulder, but uh, the, the second tattoo is, is Harley Davidson. So people are putting logos of a brand on themselves. But the age of that tattooed individual now is getting into their 60s, 70s, and 80s, starting to be viewed as an older community, is starting to get associated with different types of values that maybe the younger community has not embraced. And so that rebel that you might see in the Harley Davidson brand, the younger generation doesn't view themselves as rebel or that that's a good thing. Uh, they tend to be more compliant and that seems to be their value is to, is to comply with society. And so they don't understand why you'd want to be a rebel. What are you rebelling against? And that's foreign to the generation before who said every teenager rebels. What are you talking about? <laughs> and so these values now have to be aligned to a new generation to sell a new vehicle because uh, Harley Davidson's finding a new, uh, a new generation they're having a hard time selling to. And, and a, a good example of, of this sort of like the, the backlash against values that I can think of in, in recent years is, where, is when Nike came out supporting Colin Kaepernick. Um, yes. as part of the whole take a knee thing. And you had all these people going online and, and burning the products and making a big to-do about how they didn't agree with Nike supporting them. But then at the same time, under the surface, sales increased for Nike when they came out with this right. campaign. Like, I don't know right. if it's because people were buying products so they could burn them, if that was what was driving up sales, but it shows that wow. 
the values, the association with values can be very, very powerful despite the, the backlash you can get against it. Well, there's two aspects to that. First is, uh, as they say in PR, just spell my name right. If you're talking <laughs> about me, then uh, you know, get, it, get the name right because I want to make sure that people are talking about me. If you are a, uh, a brand that gets a lot of chatter about anything controversial, your sales are going to go up. Same thing for Chick-fil-A. When the protest happened, uh, sales went up. Regardless of which direction the protest is happening, those protests, the protesters are actually working against themselves because they're actually creating more awareness of the brand and the brand sales will go up. It, it tends to be the case. And the second aspect of that, they go up because of the irrational advocates. When you have a few, even if it's a small number of them who say, I really believe in this cause, you're going to cause them to go out of their way to buy that product. They're going to go into the store and they're going to purchase those shoes and say, this is the values I stand for. And it's a way of thumbing in the nose, all of those who, who talk negative or talk down on their brand. But that, that's got to be a fine line to walk. I, I doubt anyone could real, realistically engineer an actual situation that I, does this. Like, that's well, got to be dangerous the, the territory. Well, it's very dangerous if you, if you enter into politics. I, I think that's the place you got to be careful. Uh, as soon as you start picking a political candidate, you've already told half your customers you don't want them. Uh, and, and so that's a risk. And uh, so I, I would prefer that we stay away as brands from divisive conversations in politics or uh, even in culture that are becoming really heated. Uh, you're, you're likely to really uh, lose a mass audience for your brand. If you're a challenger brand and you only need a small percentage of the population, maybe that'll work for you for a minute. Uh, but in the long run, you're going to have a lot, of, a lot of conflict you're going to have to work your way through. And it may not be where you want to put the energy of your brand and of your officers and your company. Definitely, definitely. It's, it's, it's tough these days, especially since so many issues are politicized now like we're not going to dig into this on on the podcast but it's it's something that cmos need to be aware of like you need to be aware of the context behind the causes that you're supporting like you might not think it's a political issue but you need to do your your research to make sure it is you need to do your research absolutely you may presume just because everybody you know feels the same way about a particular subject whether it be masks or uh, shared bathrooms unisex bathrooms or whatever the system that we're trying to think about, we may say all of our friends believe this, you gotta go out and ask the consumer because you're not, you're, your consumer audience is very diverse and they have very different opinions on everything. And the more heated, the more strong their opinions are going to be. Definitely, definitely. So um, we've talked about some of like the good examples and the pitfalls to avoid. Let's talk about sort of like best practices. Like what, what should people be doing to engender this kind of support that they, that this irrational advocacy, if, if that is what they want for their brands? The first stage is to really have a strong point of view on your brand purpose. Uh, you have to have a really strong uh, internal understanding of where you're going, why you're going there, the why. You know, start with why is I believe Simon Sinek said very well. <laughs> you really have to identify that, that, uh, that purpose that drives you as an organization and that you have unity among your organization and it's meaningful. It's not just a, a poster you put on a wall. Once you understand that why, now you have to think about how you're gonna engage that why in the community. Uh, let me give you an example. And, and I know Chick-fil-A can be a divisive uh, brand for some, but uh, this is the reality for Chick-fil-A. If you were to talk to Dan Cathy, uh, when he was making the moves in Truett Cathy of that organization, you would have heard what we heard. Uh, they said, don't sell the chicken. 
just the love the customer. Go out there and love the customer, build families, and the chicken will sell itself. So that was the objective. They understand, understood their objective was, was to love, to build community and build families. And then the chicken, that's secondary. When you understand your purpose at that level and you're willing to sacrifice even your product sales for the sake of your purpose, that comes through in everything you do. So then we created things like the daddy-daughter date night uh, where there was a candlelit table and dads and daughters would meet for a chicken sandwich and a re reserved fast food moment. Uh, those moments became viral and the dads and the moms who saw it and, and put the events together posted online and millions and millions of posts went online and, and created that environment. So you have to do a couple things right. First, get your purpose right. Then empower your team to follow up on that purpose. You have to tell the agency, don't talk about the chicken sale this week. This week. Do something to engage our purpose. And then the agency was able to come up with ideas like, well, let's expand this daddy-daughter date night that We've seen some of your stores doing, let's do that national. And then that becomes a brand moment where the consumer is now empowered to be your advocate with tools. The tools are the event, the environment, and all the places you can photograph, and even the flowers that are being handed out uh, to the children at the, at the stores. All those moments are the, um, the, the things that can be signaled and the symbols of this brand meaning. We wanna bring families together. Here's the event, we do this because we wanna bring families together and it proves out the brand purpose. It, it sounds to me in some respect, it's almost almost ritualizing people's associations with the brand, like having these shared practices, these mimetic practices that they all share and they all go and engage with, similar to the, the people queuing up outside the store for, for Apple launches as well. Like it's something you do as an Apple fan, something you have to do to show Absolutely. that you're an Apple fan. And probably the, probably similar with the, the, the daddy daughter nights at Chick-fil-A. It's something that you do to show that you support the brand in a, in a certain way. Ritual is a great word for it. They're all cult brands are started by cult leaders. Um, Steve Jobs was a cult leader. He had his uh, spiritual moment in the, uh, with some Buddhist monks and actually became a Buddhist and applied his ideas and symbols around his, his belief system, very religious. Um, it, it's a different religion from Truett Cathy, but it, it is a religion nonetheless. And when you go to these leaders that create these followings, they often did have some kind of a spiritual quest that they started on, and that eventually became, uh, it, it kind of came their, became their brand. Uh, for Steve Jobs, it was the, um, the symbol of his religion was simplicity. Uh, it's one of the Buddhist belief systems that simplicity is a value. And so making things simple and pure and um, uncomplicated was so important. It was a it was a religion, and now you look at this device that we've created that he created for us. Uh, this is so simple. It helps us do so many things, and he simplified things that were so complicated in technology. It used to be DOS-based code, and we had to go and understand and memorize languages. He made buttons you could click, and brought us the mouse, and all these different things that came out of a spiritual quest and a ritual that came out of a vision that we can make things simple. And, uh, and so you're right, it's, a, it's literally a religious quest when you're, you're building an irrational advocate following. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Steve Jobs specifically um, because both those brands we've just been discussing, Chick-fil-A and Apple, they both have benefited from very, very clear figureheads as leaders that people got attached to. Like people, 
people love the founders of Chick-fil-A if they're supporters of Chick-fil-A. People loved Steve Jobs when they were alive and they haven't really connected with the leadership that followed on. How important is the personal brand behind these brands? Like how much do you need a face to connect to? I, I would argue that the the face of Apple is still Steve Jobs long yeah. after he's gone. I, I often, I'm one of the Steve Jobs fans, uh, irrational advocates. It, when my computer's not working, uh, I, I often say it's because Steve Jobs died. Uh, that That's kind of a, a a new thing in our office. We we say it all the time because we, we were such followers uh, of Steve Jobs as the guru of the industry that it's not possible for anyone to follow in his footsteps and do what he did. So you're, you're right. There is a, there's a face that goes with the brand and there's a trust to the person. And you hope that the followers of Steve Jobs will create the movement and it will, it will continue. And some Apple followers are doubting that right now, to be honest, because there's some things that have not really improved and not really moved the way it would have if Steve Jobs was around. And I suppose as well, you've got to be careful attaching a brand too firmly to an individual because you don't always have control over that individual's actions like steve jobs right. had his has his issues and left apple for quite a considerable amount of time um probably a yeah. good example of that right now is elon musk and his relationship yeah. with tesla like yes and yeah like you can't really control very, that he's picked a side on some really heated issues and in doing that he's going to have some irrational advocates who are going to follow him you know to whatever end but he's going to have the opponents who are going to also fight him to the end. And so he's found himself in the middle of a battle. We'll see how this works out. And maybe he's the case study on rational advocacy and how it can work out. Uh, it's absolutely an issue. Uh, you know, there are many brands that face these kinds of challenges when they're, when their visible CEO or founder uh, gets in trouble. Uh, it can affect everybody. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so you talked just a, Further, the point about maybe Elon Musk will be the, the case study. Let's talk about like, how do you see the future of this developing? Like, how is a rational advocacy gonna work in the future? Is it just gonna get more and more divided between brands or is there, is there new ways to make this a, a healthy relationship coming along, along the pipeline? I, I, I hope it goes the way of, of a healthy future. Um, you know, it's a, it's a movement that was created by technology. Uh, we see that social media takes word of mouth and puts it on steroids. Uh, this entire thing is consumerism on steroids. It, it is uh, the consumer getting power and now having a voice and saying, you know, you used to run the world by three TV channels and they told us what to buy. Now the consumers all have their own channel, their own voice, their own YouTube channel, and they can say anything they want about any brand and they can create winners and losers. And and that's really why irrational advocacy is so important today is the technology that created it. Uh, over time, I, I think it's gonna be a bit like democracy. Uh, you know, Alexis de Tocqueville who first analyzed democracy when it hit America said, this will either be the greatest country or the worst country based on the population. As it is a moral country and democracy rules, you will vote upon yourselves great leaders who will have moral decision-making. As you become an immoral and a selfish society, you'll vote on yourselves, your own problem, your own demise. You're gonna create leaders that will uh, create destructive uh, behaviors in your society. And uh, those who will want to take will vote those who will give them. And, uh, and in their selfishness, they will create the, uh, the leaders that we all hate. So I, I think in some ways it's gonna reflect society. 
uh, irrational advocates will um, vote up the brands that will uh, create society. And if they're a good society that has good intentions and selfless mindsets, and maybe even a unified mindset, that's gonna be a good thing for everyone. If we've got a divisive society that can't get along, can't find any common ground, uh, you're gonna have more divisive brands who are gonna literally create the, the good brand, bad brand mindset. I remember when I was you know, at a basketball game with my kids and they said, which team is the good team? <laughs> and that question, we've all heard a kid say it. And as you get older, you kind of chuckle to yourself like we laugh, you know? And, and I think sometimes God laughs at us that way. We, we have in, in our culture, the good team and bad team mindset. And, uh, and in reality, they're, they're all good people doing their best. And, and uh, I'm sure the other team is praying to win just as much as ours is. And uh, it, good team, bad team is really, I think an immature society. It's a society that needs to mature, grow up, and hopefully we'll get there someday. Hopefully, hopefully. Um, it's something I'm hoping for, for sure. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are hoping for it as well, because these are the leaders who are going to have to lead these brands through these troubled waters. So this has been a really, really great conversation, Dan. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I think we've got a lot of great stuff uh, for our, our listeners here. Um, thank you very much to our listeners as well um, for joining us today. Uh, we'll be back soon with some more CMO combos.